This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thanks, Yas. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be with you. We are going to read out of the Bible. So if you have one, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. Marcus 5. As the Afrikaans is. Mark chapter 5. Um, I don't know who of you have um, met someone, probably everyone, that they um, were following on Instagram. And the moment you see them, um, then you, you don't know how to react. You're a little bit awkward. Uh, and, and you're starting to, to you know, try to take out your phone and take a picture. You don't know what's happening. And you, you look at this person and then they smile at you. And you're like, they know me because I know them. Um, and then they pass, and then usually what we do, I don't know if this is just me, but then we look at all the other people, how they react, okay, and you judge them, have you done that? Like, oh, look at them, huh? Look, grabbing their friends and taking a picture with them, or her, um, people are so, so, it's, it's, it's very, very snarks, my snarks, uh, <laughs> to look at famous people and how people react around them, they, they become weird, they become uncomfortable, they, 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 they don't know what to do. And what is incredible to me in Scripture is how people react to Jesus and in different ways they react to Him. Some react very thankful, some react harsh, some um, react in a, in a repentative way, and, and there's just all these different reactions. So I want to jump in. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time I know you guys, I know some of you don't know me, but I'm a friend of this church, I've been here while I was studying here, so I'm not going to take too long to just introduce myself, I just want to jump in and, and, and share with you what, what's on my heart. So chapter, um, Mark chapter 5 verse 15, um, I'm going to read to you this specific response to Jesus and how these two groups react in a different way. Um, Mark 5 15, it says the following, and and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it, so, so just to back up a bit, uh, this demon-possessed man was running around in the hills. Uh, people didn't go that route. They didn't follow that path because they were afraid of him. And they were scared when they saw this man that cut himself. They couldn't tie him. Um, they said the, the, there was no cord strong enough to actually bind him. So no one walked there, no one went to those hills, and they were afraid when they saw him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Okay, so, so picture this, a madman sitting at the feet of Jesus. Maybe if you lived in that area, you would know of him, you'd know scary stories about him, people Parents will, will, um, will tell their kids, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to call that man and he's going to sort you out. All these kinds of things, okay? And there they see him sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they were stunned. And there was a different response between this, these two groups. Um, this is what the one, and, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, this man who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. But this one group said, please, Jesus, if you are this powerful, 
if, if you can cast out demons, send them into pigs, and these pigs run into the river, we don't know what you might do. You're all powerful. We're, we're afraid. So would you please leave? That's an interesting response. Huh? Um, my response would be, would you please stay and sort out some, some stuff for us? But these people were afraid of him. And they said, would you please leave? This guy that was, was demon-possessed said, can I please get into the boat with you? And all through scriptures, if, if, if you read scripture, you see different responses to, to the person of Jesus. So I want, I want you to remember this phrase, a different vision determines a different response. Our vision determines our response. If we, if we see him for who he is, it, it causes us to respond in a different way. I mean, so when the Pharisees respond to Jesus, they, they're angry at him. They mock him. They spit on him. They try to kill him. They, they hate him. That's their response because they think that he came to, uh, you know, he's, he's blaspheming the name of God because he's, he's saying that he's something that is not. That's their response. But in the same group of people hearing the same stories, we see different responses. We see Mary sitting at his feet, taking this very, very expensive oil and throwing it over his feet and saying, um, you know, she loves him, kissing his feet and anointing him. It's a different response. They heard the same message. Isn't it, is, isn't it scary for you that sometimes you read the Bible, and, and especially in the Old Testament, the people that heard the same stuff, they respond differently? Like Joseph, Joshua and Caleb, this, they, they heard the same thing as the rest of the Israelites, but their response was different. They, the, the Scripture said they had a different spirit. They, they were different. But the rest of the people were all the same. They nagged, they moaned, they said, can we go back to Egypt, please? They, they had a different response to, to the voice of God. The same instructions, they saw the same things, but there was a different response. Now, for me, this is something that it scares me. What would, what would other people's response be in my situation? I don't know if you think about this. What, what would other people, how will they respond to Jesus in your situation? If he says to them what, they, what, what he's saying to you, how will they respond? And I've, I've been around church people um, and around churches, and I've seen people respond to God in different ways. So I want to I just point out different ways in which we respond to God. This is not to belittle certain ways. Maybe I can say this, that I've been in every one of those shoes. Okay? I've responded to God in different ways, to Jesus in different ways over, over these these last few years that I've, I've, I've come to know him since a student at Stellenbosch, I've responded to him in different ways. But, but I want to show you that maybe tonight you will, you will click something that, hey, I don't need to respond to him in this way. That there's a different way of, of, of looking at him. There's a different way that he's inviting me to live tonight that I hope it will free you, it will liberate you, and it will set you free. So the first group, and don't, don't do this, okay? Don't think of them in your head while I'm mentioning it, okay? Yeah, that's Allah, okay? Many, many, don't do that, okay? That's, that's bad. Um, just think of yourself. Thanks, crowd, there. Um, just think, think of yourself and your own salvation, okay? Don't, don't think of people in church. But, but if you've ever been this way that you thought that um, there's so much rules and regulations, and maybe you didn't think that there's rules and regulations that you need to obey, but but your obedience was for you was very important. And obedience is very important. Okay, I'm not saying obedience is not very important, but for you it's it's 
if, if it comes down to it, it's, it's a law and you need to, to do the law and to obey the law. Um, usually, you, 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 we try to manipulate God in a sense by our obedience. We try to, to show him that, hey, I was obedient, so now because I'm obedient, you need to bless me in a certain way. You need to, we need to, um, you, need, you need to favor me. And we think that, hey, if we respond in a certain way, then ons kan amper die Heere arm draai and manipulate him to respond to us in a good way. I've been there. I've been there. I've been in, in, in situations and in phases and in seasons where, where I, I wasn't a son, I was a slave. I was, I was just doing the right thing without the heart. Just going automatically through life, one thing after the other, just plowing ahead, thinking that God will be with me if, if I do these things. Then I've also been, and maybe you've been there, that I've, I've tried to work my way into the, the presence of God. I've tried to, to do all these things and to think that He will be pleased with me if I do all these things. Usually in church life, it's, it's actually celebrated when we, um, you know, when we do missions. And I love missions. I've been on missions with Sias and without Sias, and I've, I've, I love missions, okay? But if we think that that's the only way He's pleased with us and the only way He relates to us, then we're wrong. If we think that He's only there, then we're wrong, okay? He's also in your simple, mundane life, washing the dishes, Okay, I, I know you think he's not there, but he's there. He's there when you do the, uh, the laundry. Okay, he, he, he's there when you're studying. He's there when you're attending class. He's, 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 he's everywhere. He, he's not only there when we're on the mission field. He's not only there when we're obedient. Okay? And then, then sometimes we come to this place in our life where we feel that we've read so many books and um, it's mostly self-help books, and I know you guys don't like self-help books a lot, so I'm, I'm there as well. But sometimes we slip into this and we read it and we think if we apply these principles, then, then it will happen. It's sort of this machine working, and it's not faith, it's just this machine, and if we, if we sow, we will reap. And yes, like Scripture says, if we sow, we will reap. But there's so much more than just applying the principles. There's so much more. He, he, I want to propose a, a new way of maybe thinking, and I know you might know this, but I want to hammer this in so that at the end of this service you'll walk out of here and say, listen, Gili, I'm convinced that this is truth. But God is not into our works, and maybe you know that. God is not just into us applying the principles and doing the things and God is not into us just being obedient slaves for this master. His desire is to be with us. And that's what I want you to remember tonight. His desire is to be with us. This, the response of this demon-possessed man is beautiful. I want to be with you. I want to be in the boat with you. The other people's like, Jesus, please just go. You're going you're gonna to cause us some harm. You're going you're gonna to do something that we can't control, so we're afraid. Please leave. And this man is like, you have set me free. You've caused me to see a new day. I've got new hope, a new purpose. I want to be with you. 
You know what's God's message from the beginning was that His desire is to be with us. He wants to be with you while you do the laundry, while you do the dishes, while you do the classes. He wants to be with you. The book of Genesis, you've seen this picture of Adam and Eve and God saying that He's walking with them in the cool of the day every day. And he's, he's calling the animals to Adam and he's walking with Adam, looking at Adam, asking Adam, what do you call this one, Adam? What do you call this one? That's an, that's an elephant. Yes, that's a beautiful name, Adam. This is a lion. Yes, that's a beautiful name, Adam. Okay, do you see this picture of God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, calling the animals and Adam naming them and God being pleased and God just being with them. Just with them. The response when Jesus is baptized is beautiful for me. God opening the heavens and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hasn't done anything. He's done carpentry. He's cared for his mother. 30 years in a very small town. Nothing major happened. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why is he well pleased? Because his son Jesus learned to be with him. Took time out in the day. Took time out in the evening. He was with him. God's desire is to be with him. The story starts with Genesis, God walking with Adam and Eve. And then the, right at the end in the book of Revelation, the story is that there's a wedding feast and that we are invited not to do, to do anything, just to be guests. Again, his desire is for us to sit with him on this huge table and to be with him. We had a, we had a, a guy, you, well, where's Jan? Isn't, I don't know if you, you know Jan, Pastor Jan, Jan that's bold Jan. <laughs> like a Jan, okay? Jan must tell you his story, but Jan got saved when he saw a vision of the wedding feast of the Lamb. He says he didn't know, he didn't know what was happening, but this man came to pick him up on, the, on a horse and he rode on the horse and then as he was riding on this horse, there were streets of gold and trees everywhere and then there was this big wedding festival. And whenever we speak about this wedding festival, whenever we read it, Jan actually falls to his face on the ground. He says, this is real. Okay, he's, this is not just a story. Every time we read it, he's like, guys, this is not just a story. It's going to happen. It's not just something in the book of Revelation, but it is the truth. And then Jan came to this, this long table, and at the end of the table, there was a man. And as he stood up, this man on the horse, which was Jesus, he didn't know it, took him off the horse, walked him to this man, and he said, as he was looking up, he was looking up, 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 up. I mean, he couldn't see the man's face. And this man on the horse, Jesus, said to this large man, which is the father, said to him, Father, this is Jan whom I have been telling you about. His, Jan said for four or five hours, he repented of his sins. Then he had joy. Then he repented again. Then he had joy again. Just went on and on and on. If, if you ask Jan what God's desire is, he knows that God's desire is to be with him. It's the beginning of the story. It's the end of the story. In the, the Trinity, sometimes we believe there's this theological statement that God needs us. That he, he, he needs our attention or our worship or He needs us, fellowship with us, and that's why He created us. 
That's, that's really not true. I've got stronger ways to put it, but this is church, and it's not true, okay? So in the Trinity, the perfect relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, out of that perfect Trinity relationship, perfect unity like we read in Psalm 133, that perfect unity, we were created so that we can be a part of that, so that we can be a part of that Trinity, a part of that intimacy, a part of who God is saying, I I create them in my likeness, and I want to be with them. I want to be with them. The the rich young man comes to Jesus, and sometimes we read this in Scripture, and we read it, and it's hard. Luke 9, I think it's Luke 9, it's hard. The cost of discipleship. We're like, yes, he says this heart. If you say it like that, it's so hard to hear this. But the, the question is, where do you come from when you say that it's a hard saying? And, and the simple question is, if Jesus is your treasure, it's, it, nothing is hard. If, if, if we say Jesus is everything to us, then, then it's not hard to leave family behind. Okay? When we say Jesus is, is everything, it's not, it's not hard to say no to a business deal that we're not comfortable with. When we say Jesus is our most, the most prized person in our life, he, he is what everything revolves around, it's not difficult for us to walk away from our friends saying, listen guys, what we do doesn't honor God, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. To walk away from a relationship that's toxic, if God is our treasure, it's easy. <laughs> Sometimes we read it and we're like, oh, it's so hard. It's not, it's not that hard if he's our treasure. If we know that we know that we know the prize is that from this obedience, which I am for, like I said, it, 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 I will be with him. I will have this relationship with him. That's the most prized thing. So how do we, how do we sort of restore this, this view of God that he, he's not calling us to work for him? He's not calling us to just obey. He's not calling us to be slaves. He's not calling us to just apply the principles. How do we restore that into a place where we say, Lord, we know that we know that we know that your main desire is to be with me. That's why on missions it's so blessed. Why? Because we we spend our attention on him. We, We take the days and we worship him. We turn our attention to him and we're like, this is the best thing that I can do. But you can do that at home as well. You can turn your attention to him at home as well. That's why the early church prayed three times a day. I think it's a very good idea. Okay. Morning, it's hard work. It's hard work. Let me tell you, we we tried to start a prayer room in Paul. My goodness. It's hard work. Just to take an hour a day to say, Lord, we just want to spend it. There's no agenda. We just want to spend it with you. To get that hour. And I'm not saying, subtly saying I'm so busy. I'm just saying to take an hour and say no to other things and say yes to him. That's difficult. Morning, noon, and night. You can read Acts. The book of Acts, it says, when they were on their way to the hour of prayer, they met the man at the gate called Beautiful. There was hours of prayer, fixed hour prayer. The whole community took their attention, gave it to Jesus and said, Lord, speak to us. That's why the building shook when they prayed. It's not because they were more holy or whatever. It's because they spent their time with him. And he responded. He he looked for a group of people 
that loves him. And he responded. It is interesting to me if you read, if you read the life of David and about the life of David. You read that he was anointed as king at a young age. They say probably he was 16 years old. And then as he, as he was running around in the mountains, he became a king after 14 years of this one segment of Israel. And then seven years later, so 21 years later, he became king of every, everything. And if you were anointed at 16, waited 21 years, the, a good question will be, what would your first strategy be for this nation that you've known for, for 21 years that you're going to be their king? What would your, the first thing you do be? That doesn't make sense. But what would the first thing on your mind be? That this is what I'm going to do for this nation. You know what David did? His first thing was he said, he got everyone together and said to them, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go and fetch the ark, which is the presence of God. And we're going to place it in the middle of our nation. The place where God always told the Israelites to set up camp around the ark. Why? Because he wanted to be with them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to fetch the presence of God, the ark of the covenant, and we're going to, we're going to sit it down, and then we're going to have 24-7 worship. Okay? We're going to do 24-7 worship. You know how many years they did 24-7 worship? 33 years. It's the lifespan of Jesus. For 33 years, unending praise and worship. The nation of Israel. They estimated it cost them $33 million per month. He employed 4,200 and something musicians. Okay, so it's not a cheap strategy. It's not just, oh, this is a, this is a nice idea. Let's, let's worship a bit. It's, let's employ 4,000 worship, worshipers. Let's feed them. Let's provide for them. It's going to cost us 33 million. What would the response of that, that leaders be in that first meeting when David said, this is my strategy? I think if I was on that board, I would say, listen, David, you hit your head while you were in the caves there, please. We need a military strategy. But David says, this is the most important thing that we can do for this nation, is to, to, to center them around God's presence. There's a principle there, guys. If you center your life around the presence of God, you will see amazing things. And I'm not... I'm not selling this to you. So I don't really care about what you see. I just want you to experience life with Him. I promise you it will change everything. It will change the way we do life. If we say, Jesus, everything we do, everything we say, every decision we make, it's centered in this, this life with you. If I haven't heard it, I'm not going to do it. This is a, it's a challenging way to live. If I haven't heard it, I'm not going to do it. Because sometimes we think, that you know, God must bless us when we have a certain lifestyle or that he has to perform some miracles for us because we're obedient or we do the right things. I've, I've spoken a bit about the book of Revelation, but one thing about the book of Revelation is that that book was written. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what that book is about. And it was written for a group of people that was abused, tortured for the gospel. You know what was the advice of Jesus to this crowd? I thought he would be like, hug them, put them on their lap, his lap, and just hold them. You know what his, his response was? 
Some, some of them he rebuked for the compromise. They had to bow down to a certain idol to get a work certificate, the labellus. If they didn't do that, they compromised. They say, God will understand. I need to feed my family. And he rebuked them. Go and read the books, the books of the churches. Some of the books, they said, you, you compromised. If you don't repent of this, I'm going to leave. It was quite hard with them. And his response in chapter 4 was, look at the lamb on the throne. It's like, guys, even in suffering, turn your eyes on him. And as you turn your eyes on him, everything else will, will, will become clear. But if you take your focus off him, then nothing will make sense anymore. If you don't do life with him anymore, the suffering, the, 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 the persecution, everything it will be too much for you. You will not be able to handle it. So take your eyes and turn it upon him. And that picture of Revelation 4, it says the slain lamb on the throne. Um, when John hears that the elders say to him, there is one worthy in heaven. He turns around and he sees, he says he sees the line of Judah, but he sees the slain lamb on the throne. That slain lamb is Jesus for us. And this whole community continually just turned their attention to him. That's why the people were so baffled by their response in the Colosseum. This mother with her kids as the lions were coming out and I'm not being melodramatic. This is really, this is history. When the lions come out to eat them, they would bow in the sand and they would have a worship service. Say, come we're going to pray. We're going to meet him. That's a privilege. Huh? What would modern day response be? <laughs> Why is this happening to me? Write a letter and then claw. We will moan somewhere. We'll get a place to moan. Their response was on their knees in the sand, worship. The people were so baffled, they drew, they drew portraits of them on their walls. Who is this group of people that keeps on worshiping this God even while he's slaughtering them? That was their response. Even in the midst of suffering, why do they still... Why, why do they? Because they know life with it. They've tasted it. They've seen it. So 1 John 1 verse, verse 5, I think it's there on the board. It's one of the, the best passages for me. Um, it's John writing this to, to a group of believers. Um, and he's saying the following. He's saying, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John in the beginning is the youngest apostle. Right in the beginning, he's the one that says to Jesus, Jesus, should we call fire from heaven because these people are saying stuff in your name? Okay, that's not real loving pastoral stuff. Okay, this group is not of us, so let's consume them with fire. Please, Jesus, order that. Let that happen. Okay, that's not great. That's the, the beginning of his, his time with Jesus. The only one that went to the cross, the only one that Jesus said, I trust you, take care of my mother, the only one that didn't die, John. John had revelation upon revelation upon revelation. History said they cooked him in oil. 
dipped him. He came out smiling at them and they said, listen, we don't know how to kill you and what to do with you, so let's just take you to this island called Pathmos. And there he received the revelation, the, the revelation of the book of Revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation. We can't kill you. What do we do with you? And in the, in the end of his message, of his life, this is his message. It's, guys, in, in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. The rest of the book of 1 John is love God and love one another. So how did he move from calling fire from heaven to love God and love one another? And in him there is no darkness at all. There's nothing. I've seen it and I've heard it. That, that two things that he said is important. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's not just a story I'm telling you. I've seen it and I've heard it. Why, why is he saying that? Because he's experienced this, this life with him, that he says, listen, I'm, I'm not talking about something that I don't know. I'm telling you about someone that I've spent time with, that I've encountered over and over and over again. And as this revelation grows in me, I know that the best thing is that in him there is no darkness at all, that he is light, and to be with him is, is life itself. Over time, revelation, knowledge, again and again. So I can scream and shout and tell you all the stories today if you don't experience it, if you don't see it and you don't hear it, if you don't taste and see that God is good, nothing will change. This is awesome. I love church. I've given my life to it, to Jesus through it. <laughs> it's important. But... If this is all you have, then it will not be enough. If you don't experience him in the week, if you don't experience him in the small group, if you don't experience him while doing the dishes, it will not last. I've had so many friends with me in church, in Shafa Stellenbosch. Very few of them made it with God. Some are very successful. Some of them married, kids, all the right things. But without Jesus... So sometimes we have, a, we have all these things, but we don't have Christ. It's, it's wasted. That's why scripture says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet he loses his soul? It's nothing. If at the end of my life I can't say that I've, I've, I've run this race and I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what scripture freaks me out, Matthew seven twenty one. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? It's very charismatic stuff that he calls it. Did we not heal the sick in your name? Did we not drive out demons? I mean, if we have ministries like that, we're like, oh, God is pleased with me. Mm, he's with me. Mm, look at all these rechmergis, huh? And the end, yet he will tell them, I don't know you. That must be the most, that must be the word at the end. I don't know you. You've done all these things. You've been obedient. You've done missionary work. You've done church life and church work. But hey, I don't know you. Who are you? I want him to know us and for us to know him and to know that life with him is joy. It's joy. It's, it's peace. It's filled with that righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That there is no other life to live. So what I would, what I, we've tested this in Paul, <laughs> some of us, um, we've preached it, but like all sermons, only a few tested. Um, 
So we said we want to do 20, 20 minutes, not, not three, three hours because we don't have a capacity to do it. We said 20 minutes, 20 minutes, morning, morning, evening, morning, noon, and night. Ochend, maandag, aand, man. Jullie verstaan. Ochend, maandag, aand. And just to take that 20 minutes and to say, Lord, I want to just, I, I want to be with you. I'm not here to ask anything. I'm not here to say anything. I'm just here to minister to you. You know what the priests in the Old Testament, the job description was? It's to minister to God. That's the same thing as in the New Testament. 1 Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. We are, first of all, ministers to Him. So we said we want to do the first commandment first. First commandment is love God. I'm all for making disciples. But let's just be a disciple first. Okay? I'm, I'm all for doing missionary work and evangelism. But let's just be with Him. And out of that place, I've seen this. Out of this place, you will, you will not be able to stop someone. We, we normally say that lovers will outwork workers. It's true. Lovers will outwork workers. I've, I've seen the mornings when we were in the prayer room or we just spent time seeking God and ministering to Him that, that, that those days I walk into the coffee shop and I'm like, okay, who can I testify to? Not because someone said we're going to do evangelism today. I want to tell them because it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Not because someone said anything. It's because I want to. I want to tell them about this king that this morning I've seen him, I've heard him, I've tasted of him, I've experienced his presence and it liberated me. And I know that if I tell them, if they experience what, what I do, they will never, ever, ever be the same again. And for that reason, we will go out again and again. We will be rejected. People will laugh at us. Some will respond. Many will respond. I believe the harvest is plenty. The laborers are few. But if you just have a group of people that go out when, when, you know, when it's scheduled time, it's not life. It's not how we do life. It will fade. But if we do life in this way where we seek Him, we want Him, we are here to minister to Him, we've got no agenda, no topic, no nothing, we're not bending His arm, we're not trying to, to fix something, we're just here to enjoy Him and to be with Him. Then out of that place, everything will change. I want to read you, I'm, I'm just, just want to see if I, I, I get it here. I want to read you an account of a slave Christian slaves in, um, in America. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. Yes. These Christian slaves were, uh, were ordered to, to attend services with their masters. And then then they couldn't have it anymore. They couldn't, couldn't go to these hypocritical services anymore because these, these pastors that preached at them just said to them, obey because you're slaves. They said, listen, we can't listen to this anymore, so we will meet in private in the bushes where no one else is, is watching us. 
and then as we meet, we will, we will seek him. I'm going to read it to you because I can't tell it like it's written here. The American church is no better testimony of hope than the one left by our sisters and brothers in Christ who endured slavery. They knew better than most the evil, injustice, and chaos of this world, but they found hope in knowing that God was with them in their suffering. Although many slaves attended them, was strictly forbidden, forbidden in these settings. One former slave described that church was what they called it, but all that preacher talked about was for us slaves to obey our masters and not to lie and steal. Nothing about Jesus was ever said, and the overseer stood there to see the preacher talk as he wanted him to talk. Okay, just think of yourself in that setting if you were a slave. Obeying Jesus. For a slave, don't fight for your freedom, remain a slave. But honor God, do it with him. That's what he continues to say. If you were free, great, but remain with him. Jesus said the same. He said, do life, but abide with me. Abide in me. Be with me, okay? Um, but the desire for hope and communion with God was too strong for the slaves to suppress. It was not uncommon for slaves to steal away at night for secret gatherings in the thickets, swamps, or other areas where their masters were unlikely to discover them. Often huddled on their knees and speaking in hushed tones, the slaves would hold their own worship service, complete with a sermon and singing. Peter Randolph, a slave in Virginia, until freed in 1847, reported that at the Hush Harbor, the slave forget all his suffering, exclaiming, thank God, I shall not live here always. Another slave said, we prayed a lot to be free, and the Lord has heard us. We didn't have no songbooks. They write it as the slaves wrote it. Okay, the spelling is horrible because they have no formal education. We didn't have no songbooks, and the Lord uh, have given us our songs. And when we sing them at night, it's just whispering so nobody hears us. That's what the slaves wrote. Many of the slaves' songs focused on the hope flowing from God's presence with them. This is a, a, a chorus that they sang. He hath been with us, Jesus. He is still with us, Jesus. He will be with us, Jesus. Be with us to the end, Jesus. The hush harbors brought hope to the slave at both the cosmic and individual levels. They had hope at two levels. At the higher level, the slaves often compared themselves to the Israelite slaves in Egypt awaiting God's deliverance. They, know, they knew that freedom was their destiny. I know that someday we'll be free, and if we die before that time, our children will live to see it. At the lower level, many of the slaves found that communion with God gave them a peace and a dignity that defied their circumstances. You see, just before I read on, why do we have to get to circumstances like this before we realize that God wants to be with us? We need to be persecuted to an extent, and it's the church all over the world. We have to have services underneath tables before we come to realize that our greatest prize is the presence of God. And if, it, if we don't have that persecution and that, that tight spot that we're in, that circumstances that press us, it's difficult for us to live in that way. It's really difficult. Um, the story of a slave in Maryland known as Praying Jacob, that was like what they call him. It's a great name, Praying Jacob. Okay? Praying Jacob revealed the strength. They had strength that the communion with God 
and his presence soothed them. Apart from participating in whatever COVID hush harbor gatherings the slave organized, Jacob also made it his habit to pray three times each day. At regular intervals, he would stop his labor, rest quietly, and enter a personal hush harbor to commune with God. This enraged his master, a cruel and terrible man named Saunders. Is there anyone here named Saunders? Don't put up your hand. It's a terrible name. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. We have a guy in church, and in Paul, that's name is Saunders, and we had a, a good laugh. That was the, the master's name, Saunders. While Jacob was kneeling in the field to pray, one day Saunders came up to him and pointed a gun at his head. Saunders ordered him to stop praying and to get back to work. Jacob finished his prayer and then invited Saunders to pull the trigger. Your loss will be my gain. That's the same as what Paul said. And he said, I have two masters. Master Jesus in heaven and Master Saunders on earth. I have a soul and a body. The body belongs to you, but my soul belongs to Jesus. Saunders was so shaken by Jacob's strength and lack of fear that he never touched him again. In most cases, the southern slaves were powerless to change their circumstances. Those who could reach freedom either legally or illegally availed themselves of the opportunity. But for the remainder, hope and dignity were not out of reach. They found both by living with God. Living with God. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.